Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. We got a sunny, or not sunny, what am I talking about here? We got a rainy Wednesday here uh, in the city of Halifax, October 14th. Halloween's around the corner. I hope you have your Halloween costumes ready. If you don't, I don't know, don't worry about it. I'm not worried about it. You shouldn't be worried about it either. Uh, Today on the High Button Podcast, extremely excited about this guest. MMA is probably, in my mind, one of the fastest growing sports in the world. UFC has blown up in the past 10 years, and they have produced some superstars. And when I say, you know, when I say superstars, I don't say that lightly. You know, you got names like Conor McGregor, uh, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, some some superstars that have gone, surpassed uh, the sport of MMA. Um, but nonetheless, the UFC has been able to produce these these people, and uh, it's probably one of the most exciting sports to watch, uh, in my mind right now, for a lot of fans around the world. I think that's what captures the UFC, or what captures the sport, is that everyone can relate to it. It's fighting. It's man versus man. They've been doing this back since the Roman days. I don't really know too much about it, I'm going to be honest with you, but whenever it's on TV, I, I love chucking it on with a bunch of uh, my buddies, getting the pay-per-view, getting a couple beers going, and pretending like I'm the toughest guy in the world, you know what I mean? Uh, but anyways, today on the High Button Podcast, Peter Martel. Peter essentially brought uh, mixed martial arts to Atlantic Canada in 1993. He actually trained in New York City with Henzo Gracie back in the day, took the skills he learned from back then, brought them to Atlantic Canada and started uh, jiu-jitsu back in 1993. I don't even know if UFC was around in 1993. It could have been, I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, I'm excited to talk to Peter about the sport, uh, about where it's going, about where it is right now, about the lessons he's learned throughout his years in mixed martial arts. It's going to be a great podcast. I love doing episodes where I know very little about the sport, uh, but I know in every sport and every nature, it comes down to uh, you know competitive nature comes down to work ethic and it comes down to being obsessed with uh, getting better even if you're playing hockey lacrosse rugby football martial arts it doesn't matter it's all the core values at the very beginning so i'm very excited to talk to peter it's going to be a great episode remember this is the high button podcast i'm justin we're talking to peter martell here we go you know what comes next all right peter we're going how are you? Good, good. Thanks for you? coming. I'm good, thank you, thank you. That's good. Well, thanks for having me. No worries. You got to be way closer to the mic uh, there. there. I apologize. Go. No worries. How's life? Uh, it's good. Busy. Is it busy? Yeah. Good? Yeah. I heard that, like, what do you call You call it a dojo is where you train? Yeah. What do you call it? You call it, like, an academy, I guess. An academy. Yeah. Well, I heard, like, it was complications with the academy right now because of COVID and everything that's going on, so it's yeah, good that you're fortunate. busy. Yeah, and you know what's Scotia's fortunate? We don't really have any cases, so... Uh, mm. We're uh, we're training the the fifty person number is good. We're we're functional with that. So nice. Good. Where where's your location yeah, exactly? Well, everyone's had to kind of renegotiate or resettle. Like I move, I'm working out of my home now. You know yeah. what I mean? Everyone's kind of had to adjust a little bit, but yeah. I, w- I wonder what that's going to do for commercial real estate in uh, you know another year or two when a lot of companies realize that uh, they can still function with maybe half their office space. People working from home. I know. Well, all my buddies are working from home now. I got buddies that have, like you know work at an office downtown, and they'll go in, they'll take their desk and chair, bring it home, and they're they're saying they're getting like twice as much work done from home. Well, they're saving uh, commute, you know, time. Just uh, probably better yeah. for the environment. Less. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's tons of things <laughs> that less happen. Tra- less traffic. I was saying on the intro that, um, in my opinion, MMA is one of the fastest growing sports in the world. Um, you know, when it comes to the technical aspect of it, I don't know a whole lot of it, but I know when it comes every Saturday night and there's a, a UFC event on, I'll definitely buy some pay-per-view, grab a couple beers and watch them with my friends because, you know, it's very exciting stuff to watch. Um, and you, your life, you are invested in this uh, sport you call Mitch, mixed martial arts. How did you get involved in it? Oh, geez, that would be back. I think my first exposure would be to do Hoist Gracie. Again, you know, I mean, I'd always been fascinated by martial arts, but uh, watching the very first UFC uh, and seeing what the reality of it was uh, was very intriguing. So I started training uh, right after that. How old are you? Oh, then I think 27. Where were you living? In Halifax. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So someone told me you went to New York and trained, though. I did. I traveled with, to New York and trained with Henzo Gracie, you know, just but like repeated trips to New York, um, to Brazil uh, to learn jiu-jitsu. You know, uh, I've been to Thailand for Muay Thai. 
New York and Cuba for boxing, you know, just different, you know, places to, to learn different things. Always uh, trying to improve uh, our knowledge. So what's the benefit of going around the world trying to learn different aspects of the sport? Do people know different certain elements of the sport when you travel to Thailand compared to Brazil? Well, Thailand's Muay Thai kickboxing. Um, okay. Brazil's uh, the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So uh, Brazil would be the mecca for jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, and uh, Thailand would be the mecca for Muay Thai. So that's where you're going to get the, the best uh, in their respective arts. You know, Cuba's fantastic for boxing. New York's a great boxing. So, you know, you try to go where they have the best stuff uh, to learn the best stuff. So what do you take pride in the most bringing back to Halifax here when you teach at your studio? Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't, I don't think I really look at it like that. I just think it, you know, I, it's always great to learn new things. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and to try to stay on the, on the cutting edge. Uh, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just fun to, to travel and see how good other people are. Yeah. If you stay in your own little, you know, your own little world, your small pond, you know, you may think you're at a certain level, but, you know, there's always developments in other places. And, uh, you know, the benefit we have now being, you know, kind of a world community is we can, uh, we can certainly get the best of the best from, from everywhere. What I've heard from uh, Henzo Gracie is he's a master at what he does. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not too quite sure, you know, what he does and, and how he's good at what he does. But his name has come up more than, you know, probably 10 times on this podcast. Could you tell me a little bit about him and what you learned from him? Uh, well, Henzo um, started as a, a jiu-jitsu champion uh, in, in Rio de Janeiro. Um, and he comes from, you know, he's directly descended from the from the Gracies, from Elio and and um, and Carlos, uh, who originated Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. So he grew up immersed in it. Uh, you know, he would do Jiu-Jitsu matches. He would do challenge matches. Uh, you know, nogi fighting. And in the early days, Jiu-Jitsu, especially with the Gracies, was much more associated with no rules fighting than it was with the, the sport of jiu-jitsu. Say, sorry, say that again, no rules fighting? Mm-hmm. Like like MMA, but back in the early days, there were actually no rules. No refs? Uh, no referees, no no rules, No, there was no doctor, there was no gloves. <laughs> People bit, they broke fingers, they head-butted. You know, it was, it was just really basically reality combat. Um, and they wanted to prove that their style, their system of jiu-jitsu was uh, the most proficient at uh, winning these fights. So that's what... Uh, Henzo kind of brought. He came to New York um, early on in his career, and uh, he had already been a jiu-jitsu champion in Brazil. So he came and started fighting uh, MMA. I think he fought in and won World Extreme Fighting because his cousin Hoyce had been fighting in the UFC. His cousin Hickson was fighting in Japan. So when another event came up, it gave uh, uh, Henzo an opportunity to fight. Um, and that's the style that we started with. Our jiu-jitsu was much more MMA-based okay. than jiu-jitsu-based. And now it's kind of separated. We have, uh, I mean, our, our MMA jiu-jitsu kind of was, you know, merged in, in kind of one thing. Now we have strictly MMA training and we have strictly jiu-jitsu training. And, uh, I mean, there is some crossover still. But, uh, you know, the gi training is, is not, there's no, not like the Gracie used to do. You punch yeah. and kick and, you know, things like that while you're wearing the gi. When Gracie went to New York for the first time from Brazil, was he already popular, or did he have to build his name up in America? Oh, no, he certainly had to build his name up in America. Um, Henzo, I first went to his club back in, I don't know, 95, maybe, 1995. By yourself? Um, No, I I went with a group um, of people that I was training up here. Okay. And... uh, uh, actually, the very first time I went, I was a white belt by myself. You're right. The, the next time I went, I was uh, I was with a group. Um, but his dojo was a little room, probably not much bigger than this room here, and he shared it with a kung fu club. So all along the edges of the the, the room were like swords and spears and no, you know, little. Uh, there was I remember there was uh, uh, suits of armor, and I remember I rolled into one, and an axe fell next to me, or something like that. So, you know. did you cut yourself? No, no, it just fell next to me. <laughs> but it was certainly, uh, you know. And, and I mean, it, the funny thing is, is, and, and uh, you know, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, for the most part, a lot of um, things like kung fu and that, I, I just don't really have a whole lot of respect for them. Okay. Um, and for someone who was a great fighter and, and, a, and, a, and a world champion like him to share space and have to watch them teach what I consider, you know, bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, 
you know, I mean, he's very humble about it. Uh, and, and I mean, and again, I, you know, I understand, um, I think Kung Fu is more of a, a philosophy than a fighting system. And I'm, I'm sure there are some good Kung Fu people out there, but I think for the most part, most of them wouldn't be able to, you know, fight very effectively. Uh, you know, and it comes to down to the fact that some of these martial arts are more sports than fighting. Hmm. Um, so you can get uh, stuck. I call it the emperor has no clothes. It, you know, you, you're learning stuff and students and teachers are blowing smoke up your ass. And <laughs> you think you can fight and you really can't. Um, Bunch of yes men. And yeah, I, you see that so much. Uh, and, and people pay money. I mean, you see, you know, academies where the instructors throwing chi bombs at people and they're falling down. And, and because of that, the emperor has no clothes syndrome, I call it. They actually fall down. They believe this is happening. And I, I see at my, my gym, I'll, I'll be teaching a technique of takedown, and my student will fall. I'm like, what'd you fall for? I didn't do anything yet. Uh, he thinks he should fall because... That's annoying. You know, and, and so I'll say, just let me, you know. But, I mean, you know, if, if I think that's where sometimes the, these martial arts have lost their way, you know. And, you know, for instance, um, I love judo. Judo's a great sport. And judo had a... Uh, an issue with wrestlers coming in and doing, you know, single and double legs and, and you know, giving the judo players a hard time. So judo has certain rules to make judo functional. Like you have to stand up, you can't really bend over, you'll get penalized, things like oh, that. Oh, yeah? Uh, so rather than address the single leg, double leg and becoming proficient, they said, oh, you're not allowed doing that. And I think that weakens judo. Uh, it doesn't, so you've taken out uh, something that's probably extremely effective for a takedown in a sport that relies on takedowns but because they weren't really proficient like wrestlers were rather than adapt and they could have adapted they could have been just as good and you know done their thing but they said we went the other way and it's like uh, no we're gonna we're gonna take that out and i think that's what weakens uh martial arts interesting yeah um, anyway just my opinion you know huh. don't don't hate me judo people i love you guys yeah, i'm sure they don't mind that's all right <laughs> well we'll get a couple judo people on here and they'll have yeah. a couple requests back yeah. um I've played uh, team sports my whole life, hockey, lacrosse, um, and I've always not felt comfortable, but going into a new situation with a team, I've always enjoyed. I could never imagine going into a situation like going to New York by yourself, coming from Nova Scotia, going into a, a, a gym. How, did you, how do you deal with that at a young age, going to a different place in the world by yourself, meeting a bunch of strangers, and then trying to learn something? Did that come natural to you, or was there a little bit of fear in you? Um, you know, actually, going to New York was, was pretty easy. I mean, Hens was a very nice man. He's very welcoming. He, he, you know, you, you feel like you've known him all your life and you meet him for five minutes. So, oh. you know. welcome, my brother. You know, he's always so friendly and he's, he's really nice with everyone. And, and uh, you know, it's genuine. I've seen him be nice to people when no one's looking. You know, that's the thing. It, it's, uh, and I always have a saying, judge, don't judge people by how they treat you. Judge them by how they treat people they don't need. And uh, Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, really good with people. He's a, he's a good person. Uh, so I felt very, very welcome. Um, I, I, I was invited, uh, uh, I had the, uh, the privilege to roll with uh, a world champion in jiu-jitsu. Um, we had Carlos Gracie Jr. up here, who would have been Henzo's instructor. Mm. And um, one of his uh, world champions was with him. I think he was a, a three-time world champion at that time and I was a blue belt and I rolled with him and I had a very good role with him um so, sorry I gotta interrupt you a role just means meaning uh um, you're feeling each other out you're well no we're, we're it, it's 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 jujitsu so we're, we start in a, in a jujitsu match and your goal is to submit the other person yes okay. so you're trying to get position get dominant position uh get a get a submission that type thing but are you going 100 percent? oh yeah you, okay okay so you're rolling okay okay but I certainly was um <laughs> 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 And uh, I had a very good role with him. Uh, he tried a lot of different sweeps for me. I was able to counter a lot of them. And eventually he swept me with a sweep I'd never seen before. And he went over to Carlos Gracie, and he was speaking Portuguese. I didn't know what the hell he was saying. And Carlos came over to me and said, I would like you to go to uh, Brazil and represent Canada at the World Championships. I'm inviting you down. And I was like, well, yeah, sure, I'll go. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was only a blue belt then. So um, I left, and I think the World Championships were like two months later. So you No. Know, were you in good shape at the uh, time? Jeez, back then I didn't really know. I was still, I was still green. I didn't really know. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have anything. I didn't know. If I would have known, well, who knows? I mean, I know so much now compared to what I knew then. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know anything about conditioning. I didn't know anything, uh, you know, as far as strategy goes. I didn't even know the point system really. So how do you 
like my, my, I, I won't lie to you. My knowledge based on a lot of things that I know in this world are based on the internet. Mm-hmm. YouTube, watching things. This podcast was brought to you by YouTube. I figured out how to do it by watching other people yeah. do it. Yeah. How do you learn back that. in the day? It's all, it's unreal. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's what I always tell uh, my Just students. Talking to the mic, I, I, would, I would lay in bed if I had a problem that I couldn't, uh, didn't have an answer for. And I, I sometimes would be like two, three weeks laying in bed, night, my eyes open, thinking, and then maybe an answer would come to me. And, you know, often in, in everything, uh, combat sports, there's no uh, exception, the answer is the answer for the time. It may not be the best answer, but it's an answer. Um, and, and so because the answer, the right answer that you think is a great answer today is, you know, it's the B option tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Right? Because things evolve and get better. Um, so, yeah, so it was, it was a very long, long process to try to learn things. Uh, and I mean, we became very tough because we fought a lot. We became very hardened. Uh, we didn't have a lot of uh, knowledge. So I mean, they. I remember, you know, if I wanted to learn something, I'd take a trip to New York, spend two, two or three thousand dollars, take private lessons, you know, which back then were a hundred dollars U.S. an hour, and, and try to learn things. I'd go to Brazil, do the same thing, you know, and then bring the knowledge back uh, and and try to make the guys around here uh, better. Um, we would buy videotapes. They would offer like VHS cassette tapes back then. Yeah. So you might spend $400 on a, you know, eight tape series, which might have, you know, I don't know, 50 moves on it. And, you know, sometimes you'd find a gem where you'd like learn, you know, eight or 10 great moves. You're so excited. Sometimes you'd <laughs> learn one. So you'd spend $400 to learn one move, you know. So, yeah, um, that, that was, it was slow. So when I went to Brazil uh, for the World Championships in 1998, Wow. Uh, I didn't really know anything. Like, uh, you know, I, and the thing was, I was going there. I called Carlos Gracie Jr., and I didn't get an answer, and it's getting closer. I called him again, didn't get an answer. You're sweating. So my flight's booked, right? And I'm, I'm getting ready to get on the plane. I'm flying into to Brazil, uh, into, into Rio. And finally, I get an answer back from him and says, I'll meet you at the airport. So I arrived. The airport's huge. I don't speak the language. I stumble outside, you know, all confused, and there's Carlos... And uh, I hop in his car, and he drives me uh, from the airport into into to Baja. Wow, uh, suburb of Rio. And I mean, he's a crazy driver. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> is that your first time in Brazil when you got there? What's that? First time in Brazil first was in time, 1998. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he took me to the hotel, uh, put me in a room with a couple of Australian guys who were also competing at the World Championships. Awesome. And we went and trained at the club every night, and it was just crazy. There was a hundred crazy Brazilians in the club at a time every night, um, and uh, it was. Uh, it, it was it was really a huge, uh, uh, huge eye-opening experience. Uh, the guys there were were fantastic. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu was at such a high level, uh, and I mean, I learned things back then in, in in my travels to Brazil, and I remember thinking it was magic. And, what do you uh, mean by that? Well, just certain techniques. I'm like, wow. You know, oh, oh, you've never seen, before. Never, yeah, seen yeah, before. yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, when you, uh, like, it's just standard basic stuff to me now. Yeah. Um, uh, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, Brazil was, uh, that was a, a bit of a, you know, and going to the world championships, not speaking the language, not having, not knowing anybody, not having a coach, you know, uh, what a learning experience yeah. though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just going into something, not blindly, but you know, definitely on your, on your toes. Yeah. And, and I had a great experience. I mean, I went in and I won my first fight by submission. I lost my second fight on points. And I remember uh, there was two German Jesus guys. Christ. Sorry about that. <laughs> Everyone listening. We have new tenants, uh, upstairs and they're moving in. My bad. Sorry, Peter, go <laughs> no ahead. Worries. There were two German guys, and they came over and they congratulated me. Um, I think they're, uh, we should go help them. Yeah, I know. I don't know what they're doing. Putting a bed they, they were so happy for me. They came up, they hugged me, and I was like, I lost. They're like, we've been coming here for four years. We haven't won a match yet. You, that was amazing. They were so happy <laughs> and they're coming all the way from Germany to, uh, to Rio. So wow. uh, it made me feel better about winning the first one and losing the second one. You know, And uh, you know, uh, it, was, it was fun. It was a huge experience. Have you been back to uh, Brazil since then? Oh, I went back several times. Oh, yeah? yeah. What's Brazil like, like culturally-wise? Food, the people, the weather. What's it like? Oh, the weather's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Beaches, I hear, are unreal. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Um, and the people are really, really friendly, super, super friendly. I mean, it can be dangerous if you're not uh, you're careful you go to the wrong places. Luckily, I, I had a tan. My ears are a little messed up, so they thought I was Brazilian, so people left me alone. Let me see your ear. Uh, mine aren't bad, really. Cause, oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, I've got some guys at my club whose ears are just, you know, Cotton. hideous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my ears are still, you know, almost pristine, but... Um, <laughs> But enough that uh, I look like I, I might have been Brazilian because I, I it was dark and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. tanned and that. So um, it's funny we have a funny story. Uh, my partner at the gym, Kevin Taylor, 
and I went to Brazil to train, and uh, Kevin had a friend who owned a security company, and they happened to be doing security for the Rolling Stones concert there no. in uh, Copacabana, which was the, the largest concert in history, I believe. I think it was a million and a half, two million people, something like that. Something in like, Brazil? In Brazil, right on the beach. It was a free concert. Do you mind? Do you got a second? I just want to look this up. Yeah, look it up. ACDC? No, uh, Rolling Ro- Stones. Rolling Stones, Brazil. Do you know what year? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, there it is. Br- there. Oh. Yeah, it's... Oh wow! On Copacabana, oh, is, is that it? It was it was huge. Uh, I just had an image of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's the Pope. Nonetheless, I get it. Yeah. So. Probably about that many people. Yeah. How many? Two million people? Uh, one and a half to two million. They estimated. Uh, I mean, it was a wild experience. Kevin works security in one VIP section, which is in front of the stage, uh, stage left, and yeah. I was in stage right in the VIP section. No. So there was some famous people there: Mick Jagger's wife, Owen Wilson, some other people like that. And, Owen uh, Wilson. Yeah. Um, what year was this? I can't remember what year it was. Oh. Uh, it'll it'll show you on that. Uh, uh, it's funny. I'm also there's uh, 2012. There's, I think National Geographic did a documentary on the largest concert, and uh, in one of the uh, scenes, in National Geographic, they run right by me, and the camera zooms right into my face as they go by. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so someone funny. called me up and said, "I saw you on National Geographic." That's uh, crazy. Yeah, and, I, and I actually saw that clip. Um, wow. But uh, I mean, it was wild. Uh, that that concert was was crazy. I mean, we had um, the 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 crowd started. It was really hot, and uh, you know there were people coming over the fence. Like I remember, I took a little kid who was unconscious, about eight years old, over the no. fence, and took him to the paramedics. And uh, you know it was just wild. Uh, and the crowd started chanting. They had a reporter standing on top of the little. Uh, there was a little tower in our section, and he was up there doing a news report. And the uh, the people in the crowd were throwing water bottles full of sand at him. So he's doing his report. And he's ducking his water bottles are flying over his Why head. Why are they throwing bottles at him? Uh, it's just a crowd mob mentality, I guess. And they were chanting. I asked, the, there was a, a guard with me, a machine gun, Brazilian. I asked him what they were chanting. He said they were chanting, fuck the VIPs. Because <laughs> 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 we had a nice big open section. Friend, like yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, after the concert, going back, everybody has to go through this one little pass between, I think it's uh, between the mountains Talking and the, the beach. Mic, between sorry, the mountains sorry. and the beach, there's yeah. this little pass. Yeah. And um, the police are stopping people, and uh, I guess they're they're robbing them, so they're taking money from them, you know, fining them for this or fining them for that. And um, so the taxi driver says, uh, "You don't speak Portuguese, don't follow Portuguese." No, I'm like, well we, "Well, we don't." So anyway, they got Kevin and I out of the car, and Kevin has for some reason a big gold chain. He's got a wad of cash on him. Yeah. And so they get us out, and the cops. Uh, they're talking to me in Portuguese. I'm like, no, I'm follow Portuguese. And he goes, follow Portuguese. I'm like, no, no, I'm follow Portuguese. So he pokes me in the chest with his machine gun. And he says, follow Portuguese. I'm like, man, I don't fucking speak Portuguese. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he takes, searches us, takes Kevin's cash out, puts it on top of the no. car and puts the, you know, stuff on top of the car. He's talking to us. And then he let us go and didn't take our money. And the taxi driver's like, I can't believe he didn't take your money. I can't believe he didn't take your money. So the only thing we can think of is we had two things going for us. We had a... Um, a platinum pendant from the concert, which meant that we were perhaps maybe important. I don't know. But perhaps the other thing was we had uh, Gracie Baja tank cops on. And the chief of police, apparently, or the deputy chief of police trained at Gracie Baja. So one of those two things saved us from, wow. being, saved us from being robbed. That's a crazy yeah, story. And the, one of the Australian guys I knew said he'd been robbed three times with the police there. He was driving a rental car. They kept pulling him over and asking for a certain permit he didn't have. And they'd take his cash right there. No way. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty corrupt back then. I mean, I don't know how if it still is now, but it was it was wild. I met a black belt at Henzo's Club in New York. And he was a SWAT officer, and he said he'd be flying in a helicopter, and someone would shoot up at him from one of the favelas, and he'd take his machine gun, and he'd be like, bah, 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 bah. He goes, now it's a human right. We can't do that so much anymore. <laughs> so, and he was dead serious. Yeah, he was dead serious, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I mean. Brazil's beautiful. The people are friendly. It's fantastic. But at certain times and certain places, you could find trouble if you wanted to. Um, you know. Um, I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, like that. The people, like, never going to find friendlier people than Brazilians, uh, you know, uh, and uh, nothing but good things to say about being at uh, Gracie Baja and dealing with Henzo and, and uh, Henzo Gracie New York and those academies. When I go to Brazil for the first time, I'm going to buy a Gracie Henzo T-shirt you, and just yeah. walk around. It'll get be a good. Gracie uh, Baja, um, Gracie Baja or Henzo Gracie, and, and that'll that'll put you in good stead. Henzo's, uh, I guess, uh, pretty good friends with the president right now too. So, uh, <laughs> of, uh, what? Brazil. Yeah. Where is this? Where is he right now? Henzo, uh, he travels the world. He's probably in New York right now, but he travels the world. Like he's, uh, 
Like if you go to the uh, Abu Dhabi, um, the, the Crown Prince and Henzo are close friends. Oh, yeah. I think he bought a house for Henzo to live in when he stays there when he goes to visit. What the hell? You know, and I think it's also the national sport. Jiu-Jitsu is the national sport of their country now, so everybody in school has to take Jiu-Jitsu. I think Henzo's a gi supplier for them all. So he's, you know, Everyone some, has to take it? Yeah, it's like, an, it's like a mandatory course. I've heard that in some European countries, like you have to do one year in the military, something like that. It's yeah. like a mandatory yeah. thing. In some countries, uh, it's it's more than a year. So, yeah. Um, you know, again, they're going to have people who are fit, you know, confident, have self-defense. Uh, you know, it's going to put them in good good standing. It's funny um, with uh, all the issues with the police that we've been having with police um, excessive force and things like that. I worked in security for a long time, and then a lot of uh, skirmishes, we'll say. Yeah. And. Um, one of the first things I had to do uh, when I took over and was in charge was fire a lot of people because they weren't competent. They were just big. And even though they were big, their first reaction to a confrontation was fear. And without skills, when you have fear, your first reaction is you go from zero to 100. So your goal is you want to hurt the person before they hurt you. So I started training staff and giving them skills and making turning them more into like a concierge or someone to... I was a concierge. Yeah, yeah. You, you, make, you fix people's problems. I do. Uh, I am bra- I, I'm ahead of their problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I can see the problem before it comes. Yeah, you, you know what the issues are going to be. Yeah. And so that way you get customers to come back. You beat them up, they never come back. And you get legal problems and, you know, all kinds of other issues. So I wanted these guys to be friendly and nasty if they had to be because you deal with, we dealt with 6,000 customers a week and you'd certainly deal with people who are, Jesus, are looking for trouble yeah. and, and you have a bad element and you have to be able to deal with that. So a lot of the police have zero training. Uh, you know, and I, when I mean zero, I mean with the, with the little bit of training they do, it's, it's, it's next to nothing. And so you put these guys in a bad situation where they deal with the worst people in the world. You know, and, and sometimes they don't know what the person they're dealing with is a good person or a bad person. And like anybody, the reaction may be to go from zero to 100. Um, and, and hurt people. Mm. Um, so having training will go a long way to fixing that, you know, being competent. And I mean, I trained some police officers, uh, trained the club, and, and they're, they've got a great deal of skill. And they're like, man, everybody should do this. Everybody in the force should do this. Can everybody learn what you know, though? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing about martial arts. Like I say things like, uh, you know, Kung Fu being a crap sport, you can put someone who's a natural fighter, put them in Kung Fu, it'll still be effective. You put someone who's a natural fighter and put them in Jiu-Jitsu or MMA, and they're going to be... A, Amazing, and you can put someone who's yeah. got zero talent in kung fu, and they're going to be a shitty fighter. <laughs> and you put someone who's got zero talent in jujitsu or MMA, and they're still going to be effective. They're not going to be amazing, but they'll still be effective um, because the the nature of that sport is it's designed to make you effective. Uh, you know, there's no smoke being blown up your ass. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's um, tested in combat every day. You know, I had a kung fu instructor come to me and say, oh, "I want to do this, want to do that," and I'm like, "Well, why don't you come and compete?" He goes, "Oh, we don't do that. It's too deadly." How the fuck you know if it's deadly if you don't compete? Yeah. Um, anyway, and again, you know, sorry, Kung Fu guys. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know any Kung I'm, Fu guys. You're not defending me. I don't know. Don't yeah, worry about it. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and I, and my, my goal isn't to not to offend, even though it's probably what I'm doing. It's it's trying to, to, to educate, I guess. Okay. And in, in, in my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think if, if uh, in a lot of states, um, training. In jiu-jitsu is mandatory for police forces. It's, you know, for special forces, for Navy SEALs, things like that. They're making uh, mm. jiu-jitsu mandatory training. And I think that's the right direction. That's what uh, happened in Abu Dhabi. It's mandatory in school. That's cool. I yeah. really like that. That's a... I, I never thought, like, I never thought that would be a thing. But now that you bring it up, it does kind of make sense. Just giving everyone maybe a year, a couple years training of, what do you call it, self-defense? Or just, yeah. you know, yeah. just a little bit of knowledge on how to handle yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh, it's it it would go. I mean, I, I had a, f- a friend uh, years ago who owned a little store. He was being extorted by this big guy. Mm. The guy would show up and take things and threaten him. And he was just a young fellow. He was like twenty years old, and yeah. he was he was terrified, uh, you know. And uh, he came to me, and I showed him three things. I showed him uh, how to shoot in. I showed him a takedown, and I showed him mount, and that was it. And the guy came back and stood up. The guy challenged, took him outside, shot him, took him down, mounted him, punched him, you know. 10 or 20 times, he said, until the no. guy gave up. And the guy never bothered him again. He came to me. He was so excited. The next day I saw him, his knees were all cut up. His knuckles were all busted. He's like, he goes, that guy came back. He was so excited. He was so happy. That was uh, an hour lesson. And, uh, you know. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, you know, the guy knew nothing. He was just big. And here he was, you know, being a bully, basically. And so, if you, like, can you, uh, in, 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 like, if we're not, you know, 
touching each other right now, but could you tell me maybe like what the first step is to not going from zero to a hundred to assessing the situation to making a situation calm down? Well, again, it, so there's a, a lot of different situations. Um, can I bring so, one up and then you yeah, can like, yeah, you okay, can so let's go. Um, let me think of a situation. Okay. I'm at a restaurant with my girlfriend. There's a really drunk guy that's sitting a couple tables over. He's being obnoxious. My girlfriend's sitting next to like a window and she's cold. So she closes the window and this guy wants the window open. And now there's an altercation and now I got to step in. So is he getting up and coming to you? Or he's, he's getting up and not even, he's going to the window and opening it saying, I want this window open, but obviously yeah. it's my girlfriend. So I got to stick up for her. So what, what, <laughs> what right. am I, what am I doing? Well, okay. Your first step would be to go to management and say, listen, we'd like the window closed okay. and you can avoid the situation. Okay. Okay. They, okay. Can, they can deal with them. Okay. But however, if, if it does come down to you and him standing facing each other, um, first of all, uh, if you have skills, uh, drunk guys are like fighting toddlers. They're they're completely, you know, um, okay. it's not even fair, you know. Um, so okay, well, let's say he's sober then. Okay, he's yeah, let's say he's sober and he's and he's being a dick. Okay. Uh, when you're talking to him, you're you're if you you have to be able to assess a threat, and you can judge a threat by um, body language, um, things like uh, his foot position, what he's doing with his hands. Is he making fists? Uh, is he turning a little offset to the side? Uh, is he clenching his jaw? Is he raising his voice? Is his face red? So you can judge by his anger and, and whether or not he's going to wow. be a threat. Um, so, uh, and so if you, the things that you just mentioned, would that guy be a threat? A guy that's his feeder? Yeah. That's a threat. If he's, if he's yeah, if he's showing those signs of aggression, then then he's a threat. And um, one of the things I, you tell fighters is that uh, you know you want to feel a process and things like that. However, if a fighter, uh, your opponent comes at you in fifth gear and you're in first gear, even though you may be much better than him, he can still win. He can still beat you. Okay. Uh, if you get caught at a position uh, by someone who's using overwhelming force suddenly. Yeah. So most fights last 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Street fights. Um, this so is so cool. Yeah, it's um, if if this guy assumes that stance, and you should take a, a defensive stance as well. And one of the things you have to decide is uh, which tact you're going to take. So a lot of people, one of the things I found was that certain people being nice to them gave them bigger balls. They got they got nastier, meaner. Um, and in certain situations, you have to uh, you have to be you know the big dog. So you gotta let this guy know that you're not afraid of him, mm. uh, and that'll go a long way. Um, mm. and, you know, being calm, talking to him, and letting him know. You know, some of the times the best way to avoid a fight is when some guy's threatening you, saying, you know, listen, I know how you you, know, you think this is how it's gonna go, but that's not how it's gonna go. No, <laughs> um, you're, you're going to lose. And, and, you know, when you show that confidence, often they wilt. They back down, they walk away, and you can avoid problems. Okay. Um, so, and beyond that, it becomes how much skill do you have uh, <laughs> to back up what you're going to say. Uh, and, you know, I've been in situations where I've, I've had a lot of fights, and 99% of the time, again, it's like beating up toddlers. 1% of the time, I fought guys who, who knew things, who were good, knew jujitsu could wrestle new judo yeah. uh, we're in great shape incredibly strong things like that um and 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 so many of the fights like i fought a guy one time who was about 350 pounds a big huge powerful muscular guy like in not in real life like in just real, in real just, life yeah yeah uh, he and he we were inside uh the barn he he was being asked to leave and refused to leave and he came out carrying four security staff literally like they were he was walking with them on him carrying them no and uh so i told him you know go back inside i thought i reasoned with the guy he just charged me he ran me into the coat check wall and we heard the whole wall crack and everything and so i slipped my hands in into a lapel choke a cross choke in his jacket and uh almost put him to sleep his knees buckled he went limp and i talked to him I was like you gonna relax he struggled again i put him limp again and um so they called the police the police arrived and like four or five cops came in the lobby and uh they're like, let him go. I'm like, guys, you may want to cuff him first. Like, no, let him go. He got him. I let him go. And he went wild. I had to choke him again. And then they cuffed him. Were the him. police pissed at you? No, no. They, they were, didn't care? They are just like, thanks for doing that? Yeah, well, like, they, yeah, they were like, yeah, that's just a situation. They don't know what they're dealing with, right? They, so then and, why aren't you training police? Like, why isn't that a thing? Why well, aren't you being I mean, paid by the, that, that's That's the police hierarchy has a certain entrenched or, or, or system in there uh, where they have training. And, you know, some police officers who've done who I've talked to, who I know, say, you know, it's, it's not that good. And the training polite. that they're getting now? Yeah, it's not, yeah, and that's being polite. You know? Well, then why aren't they coming to you? Why don't... Well, I don't know not, why they don't have to come to me. They should but, go you to know, someone. people like you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd be happy to do it. I offer to do it for free, as a matter of fact. You know, I'd be happy to do it. Well, it seems like uh, right now, more than ever, there's a demand for it. You could be making yeah. some, not that the end goal is to make money, but it would help. But Well, I mean, if it saves lives, and, yeah. and I think it's, a, it's, I think you know, it's on the side of the angels. You know, we're helping, yeah. you know, society. 
Um, so that's why I said, listen, we'll do it for free. You know, send them, send them over. We'll train them. We'll go over there. We'll train them. Whatever you like. So do you have police officers that stop stop by every now and then? We have to... police officers, regular members that we train. Yeah. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah. who are we got one guy uh, who's amazing. He's he's a beast. Yeah, he's got mad skills. Um, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I'd hate to be a criminal facing him. I'll tell you that, because uh, <laughs> he's not going to have to. He, he just twist you up and put the cuffs on you, and you know he's not going to have to shoot you. But that's what you want, isn't yeah. it? You know, that's that's the end goal is just to get you in cuffs yeah. in the back, not dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and learning how to choke people, saying don't choke people, learning how to choke people is the secret. It's the secret, not not choking people. Um, I, I can't tell you how many people I've choked. Thousands of people unconscious in fights. Literally, probably, I don't know, a thousand people, maybe more. I don't know. It'd be hard to tell. I don't know um, if I could do that. And uh, and the thing was, the choke was there to protect me and them. So I didn't have to resort to hitting them or breaking their arms or legs. Or I just choked them unconscious. And it's, you know, if you do it correctly, if it's a blood choke, they wake up in a few seconds. And they're fine. You don't you don't tro- choke their air. You're gonna kill them. Yeah. But a lot of people who don't train don't know the difference. And, you know. I guess so. So... Um, these people wake up and they're just fine, mm. uh, and they, you know, most times they don't want to fight anymore. Um, and I haven't had to punch them. I haven't had them punch me. You know, uh, so it's you know that's that's the benefit. That's the the practical application of martial arts. Cool. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie uh, The Art of Not The Art of Self Defense? It just came out maybe last year. Just give me one sec here. Essentially, it's about this kid who, you know, he's not getting bullied. He's a grown man, actually, but he's skinny. He's a wimp. And, you know, men bully him at the office, at the grocery place, like just everywhere he goes. And he essentially walks into this dojo and this trainer helps him. It ends up being a crazy twist at the end. But apparently the trainer said that this is a common person that walks into a facility that just needs help. Not manning up, but just, you know, a little bit more confidence in his everyday life do you find a guy like that walks into your place every now and then you know it's funny most of the time that's young teenagers that we get yeah uh kids who are being bullied and um i'll give you two quick instances i I talk a lot i know no that's what the Uh, podcast is for (laughs) we want you here to talk (laughs) um i we had um kids that get bullied we come in and we and we teach them and often the fact that we teach them, their confidence ends the bullying. They don't have to hurt anybody. They don't have to hit anybody. So it's a mind game before a physical yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. Once they become confident, they, you, it's almost like the sign that I'm a target comes off your back. Okay. Um, you know, uh, and and the bullies go to greener pastures, someone that's, you know, unfortunately not able to project that confidence. Um, now, I had a student who I'd been teaching, and I uh, received a phone call from... Uh, the principal of school saying that he had uh, thrown a student down and uh, and the student uh, had uh, you know wasn't hurt but was traumatized and um, you know that she would like me to uh, eject this kid from the, the academy so I was like okay I said you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this and you know I'll talk to them and I'll, I'll get back to you so I spoke to the parents and the parents told me that this kid had been bullying her son multiple times and and uh, he'd you know the kid had been very very patient and finally when the, the kid grabbed him he'd tossed him you know which is what we teach we teach throws and things like that threw the kid down didn't jump on him hit or anything like that just threw him down that was the end of it mm. no teacher there there was no one there to stop it or see it or anything like that and that's you can't watch all the kids all the time so when the principal called me back and was saying you know i'd like this kid all the time i was like you know this is what happened and i said in my opinion i said we've done the community service I said you know that kid's been taught a life lesson he was bullying if uh my student, who's a very good kid, even walked away. He would have continued to be bullied. This guy would have gone on to bully other people. Perhaps if he's even tossed on his head, the bullying will stop. You know, and uh, that may be you know, not a popular opinion. It's not, you know, um, I think it is perhaps politically correct or anything like that. But that's life. You know, um, you'll be a victim until you you aren't in a position to be a victim, because unfortunately there are people out there. Who victimize people? Now, the kid that's being a bully doesn't know any better. He's not a, you know, may not be a bad person. He's not an evil person. But that helped him develop as a person on, you know, his road to becoming a better a better person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what self-defense will do for you. Another case, I had a, I've got a guy who's in his 70s who came to me and had some problems. 70s? In his 70s, having problems with his neighbors. Had his neighbors bullying him and threatening him. So he wanted to learn self-defense. So uh, <laughs> he's in his 70s. Couldn't believe it. Do you have a uh, cane or like? He's, no, he's, no, he's, no. He's, he's been he's been training with me off and on. And, is he still uh, like coming every every well, now and then? Well, since COVID, he hasn't been oh, um, yeah. back. But um, but he was in training and uh, 
he, you know, he's a, he's a nice fella, and uh, you know, I have a hard time understanding why uh, his his neighbor, who's old like him, would would uh, would bully him, give him a hard time. He's not a big fella or anything like that. Seventy. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt like saying, you know, let's go over and let's talk to this guy. I'm sure we can work things out. You know, you know, sit down with the guy. And go, oh, man, that's a nice guy. What are you doing? Give him a break. <laughs> Jeez. You know, uh, so, I mean, a lot of things you can reason out. But again, sometimes the reason comes with the confidence to, you know, that you're not too worried about something, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, if you can give that to kids, even if someone is a bully, you teach them how to fight. They realize that, wait a second, there's some bad people out there. That helps them with their bullying. They stop bullying. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So there's some people out there who can who can kick my ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, not that I, I like, but I had a buddy that went to a UFC event once. He was at the Bell Center, Montreal's GSP. Though not GSP one, I think. Who did he beat? You probably know. Like the he's a no, shorter guy, bald. He's on the show with Dana White. Uh, uh, that was that would be uh, Matt Serra. Matt Serra, exactly. Matt was the Hensel Gracie Black belt. Yeah, yeah. I've rolled with Matt Serra. Have a, you? Yeah, he's a monster. He's good. Okay, well, nonetheless, I got to finish this story. Yeah, sure. It's not even a story, but like when he left the Bell Center, he just said everyone was wrestling. Everyone was in the streets, just like wrestling their buddy, <laughs> just like on the sidewalks wrestling. That's how I feel right now. Like after just talking like this, not that I want to get in an altercation, but like I don't know. I just want a punching bag in here or something, yeah. just to. It, it's an addicting. Yeah. Well, you know, the academy is only about ten minutes from here. You can drop over and, and train. Well, I was gonna say we got there. we got the camera. Like, if you don't mind, if you got a day, I'd, I'd love to just come and film and just try something. It would be yeah. it would be awesome. Yeah, you'll have fun. Um, what's Matt Sarah like to to roll with? Um, I rolled with him way back when he was a purple belt, and uh, you know this is I tell the story when teaching this butterfly sweep because uh, he was in his guard. He was trying to butterfly sweep me, and I oh. based in my head, and I was hopping on one leg trying to counter a sweep, and he hopped on his foot in a complete 360 and swept me and Henzo was standing there and Henzo was ah oh, very nice Matt I'm like ah oh, shit <laughs> <laughs> swept me uh, so yeah um, but I mean he, he had some he had some uh, mad skills I remember getting for a fight one getting, he was getting ready for a fight one time when I was there training and I think we, this was that little it was like I don't know what there was like a little kitchen area and he was in the kitchen area <laughs> it's like so Henzo's like it's a far cry from the gyms he has now and the success yeah, yeah, he has yeah. now but that's when he was starting out and, and Matt was a purple belt then I think fighting uh, an MMA fight and I think there was only I forget how many of us there was there maybe 12 or 20 or something like that but we all went side control of Matt and he did the same escape on all of us over and over and over again like I think we went through the lineup two or three times he used the same escape we knew what he was doing but we still couldn't stop it so <laughs> really? why just because of his pure strength well, like no, he just... not strength just a skill he, he was very skilled at that technique and uh, I, I know I don't know uh, I didn't know the skill levels of the other people um, going with him but I didn't have the skill to stop it so what in your sport what would you rather have strength or skill, because it seems like it would be skill. But oh, but in my no. mind, I'm like, if this guy's strong, he'll be able to conquer the other guy. No, no? absolutely skill. Yeah, skill. Strength doesn't. Uh, like uh, I was doing wall work with a uh, Danny. Uh, he's a big guy in my club, and Danny's powerful. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to hold me on the wall, and I was able to escape, um, and and circle off. Uh, you know, after it through uh, you know various uh, tries. So. Um, because I know more than Danny, I was able to, to do that. I, I'm not uh, cool. certainly more powerful than Danny. Now, the problem is w once Danny learns all these things, he's going to squash me like a bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. You don't want to teach him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I still want to teach him. Okay, uh, we good, get yeah. better. Getting squashed is the best way to get better. He good. squashes me, I'm going to have to learn something else, right? I guess so. Uh, you know, and, and he's a brown belt already, and he's a 270 or 75-pound brown belt who's physically powerful. So, yeah, there's only, you know... Uh, but I mean, the thing is, he rolls with certain people. He's really gentle with them, but when he wants to turn it on, geez, he can probably squash your head like a like an egg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to meet this guy. I don't want to oh, roll with him. He's a super nice guy. All right, maybe <laughs> he'll, um, okay, he'll be gentle. He'll be nice. All right. Yeah. Do you That's know uh, the the levels of belts? Like, can you name them off? Like, how it goes, the ranking, or is there too many to name right now? No, it's very simple. Okay. Jiu-Jitsu. It's okay. white, blue, purple, brown, and black, and then you go through your various degrees. What's a degree like a like a stripe on a yeah, belt? Yeah, stripe like a, on a black belt. Yeah. So what's the highest stripe that you can get on a black belt? Uh, I think when you get to ten, you get a red belt. So there a red it, it stripe becomes on the time. Black. So after you get your black belt, yeah. In three years, you can get your first stripe. Three more years, you get your second stripe. Three more years, you get third stripe. Five years, you get your fourth stripe. Five more years, you get your fifth stripe. Five more, uh, five years after that, you get your sixth, which I think is your red and black belt. Or a coral belt, oh, yeah. and then seven, eight, nine. You you get stripes on that belt, and then you get your red belt. How, what what are you right now? Your uh, I in 
April, I get my fourth stripe. Wow. So Congratulations. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, it's... Uh, as you get older, you, you, your body works less, but your knowledge hopefully goes up. And mm. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to be like the uh, the traditional uh, uh, instructor in the dojo who's like got nine stripes in his belt and he's so fat he can't move. <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that's a good point. That's yeah. good. I like that. That's um, a good mentality. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly uh, we've got some young guys who are amazing. You know, who are gonna kick my ass with me into a pretzel as, as we go along. But yeah. I still want to be able to at least you know train. That's fucking. Yeah. Who like? How does someone give you a black belt? Like, who's the person that gives it to you? Like, how does I, that? I got sense it from work? Hensel Gracie. Yeah. No we, way. Yeah. Um, he had a big ceremony down there. There was, Jesus, a few hundred people. There was celebrities and TV stars and everything. And there was, you know, several people got their blue belts, purple belts, brown belts. And my partner Kevin Taylor and I got our black belts. Yeah, it was 2007, I think, 13 years ago. What a, what a moment. Yeah. How Did you, like, cry? Like, holy shit. Uh, no, like, I didn't that's... cry, but I was pretty happy because, <laughs> you, you know, every time I wanted a belt, I had to travel to New York. And uh, you never know how things are going to go. Um, you, you think you're at a certain level, yeah. and you think you're going to get a belt, and you don't. So you spend, you know, a week or two down there training, spend $1,000, and you come back with nothing. Like, you don't, you, you learn, you're happy, but yeah. you're going down with the expectation, okay, am I ready for my next belt? And everybody who goes to that goes, am I ready for my next belt? Um and and back then I had nothing to judge it by. I had no other belt above me to say, oh, I'm as good as that guy. I had to go travel and see if there was someone okay. who was better. And even then, I remember I was down there, Kevin and I were down there, and I was a purple belt. Kevin and I were both purple belts. And I was rolling with a black belt, and I and I'd beaten him several times. And he was about six foot one, and um, he was probably in his 40s, and I was like, you know, I don't know in my 30s. Yeah. And uh, Kevin came to me and goes, oh, man, you're going to get your brown belt for sure. And I thought, yeah, yeah. I should get my brown belt. I didn't. Why not? Uh, well, I wasn't beating him because I knew more than him. I was beating him because I knew enough, but I was really athletic and strong and explosive and, you know, all those uh, factors. So I wasn't beating him just because I, I knew stuff. So you weren't beating him on your skill. You exactly. were beating him on your athletic on ability. some skill, but athletic ability. And Henzo that. knew that. And yeah, he had the intelligence to know that. I mean, and I think I went down next year and I fought a brown belt uh, who's still there. Um, and uh, we rolled. We had... Like, we rolled a whole bunch. We had a lot of stalemated rolls, in, and he ended up submitting with a, a move called a 10-finger guillotine I'd never seen before. And I got my brown belt. So I, I, I beat a black belt a bunch of times and got no belt, and I lost to a brown belt and got my brown belt. Uh, but looking at the, the skill level, he could say, okay, he knows what he's doing now. So wow. you know, he's at that level. And, and that's what we judge it by, because we'll get some young guy who can go, he's got enough cardio to use all his strength for the entire time. He's yeah. explosive. He knows enough. And maybe he gives a higher belt a hard time, but he's not using the skills and the techniques. Uh, and if he meets someone who has those skills and techniques who's as athletic as him, he's going to lose. So uh, it, it's a balance. You know? How long did it take for you to figure that out when someone's using their strength? Getting the brown belt, uh, I've, I figured out the concept. Cool. Yeah, and I mean, that was a long time figuring out the co that concept, probably too long. Was a little, yeah. You know? um, but now we, we recognize that. And, and there's some, you know, little things that change. For instance, uh, one of my students was Ralph Hollett. I don't know if you know who Ralph Hall is. Yeah, it's Patty's brother, right? Pat Hall's brother, yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. Patty's Tremian hockey. Yeah. 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 Well, Ralph was a fantastic fighter. He was Canadian boxing champion. He was Commonwealth boxing champion. He was Canadian kickboxing champion. Wow. Two time tough man champion. He was a you know, he was a he was a fighter. Yeah. And we trained him in jujitsu and MMA. And um, you know, I gave Pat or I gave uh, Ralph his blue belt. Now Ralph may not have been a really technical blue belt with a certain amount of skills that I would consider a blue belt would require. Mm. But a couple of factors. He was effective. He could hang with blue belts, right, doing what he did. He was also older. He was in his 50s. Um, and, you know, you have to, I take that into consideration from, you know, if you start training jiu-jitsu, there's, a, there's a, a little bit of a curve for, for older athletes. Um, so while if Ralph had been in his 30s, I may not have given him his blue belt. Okay. I would have, uh, would have demanded a higher. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And there are other things like uh, the recreational athlete, uh, as you know, opposed to the, the competitive athlete. If I have a guy that's competing high level in jiu-jitsu, hmm. I'm going to make sure he's at a certain level before he gets his belt, whereas the recreational athlete will get his belts on a recreational level. So, okay. That's what you're saying. So, like, you may be a blue belt for three years. So, you may be at this end of the spectrum. As a blue belt, or you can be at this end of the spectrum as a blue belt. Also, there's a spectrum on each belt. Oh, okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. yeah, you know, um, uh, someone who's um, a blue belt for a month isn't going to beat someone who's been a blue belt for two years. You know, mm. uh, it's, it, that that would be rare. Right? Mm. Uh, and but you may, you know, be a recreational athlete, and you've 
are qualified. You're in that spectrum, right? But the competitive athlete who's in that blue belt is going to be at the far end of that spectrum. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You ever get people pissed off at you that you don't give them their belt when they think they deserve it? Um, and you have to like, you explain know what? I'm to not going to lie. It does happen. I, yeah. I hear through the grapevine from other people, you yeah. know, some guys like pissed off that he hasn't gotten his belt yet. Yeah. And that's... I don't know if that's a failure on my part or a failure on their part because, you know, sometimes it's you can overlook things. Uh, it does happen. Yeah. But I would never go to Hensel and go, you know, hey, you know, where's my belt? Yeah, of course not. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. going to happen. You get your and, – and, and the good guys, you know, they're, they don't complain. They don't say anything. They get their belts when they get them, and they're happy when they get them. And when they get them, they know they deserve them. That would be such a mental battle for me, just yeah. thinking I deserve something and because one person yeah. thinks I don't. Oh, it wouldn't drive me nuts, but it would make me work harder, but it would push me. Yeah, I mean, like, well, like when I when I beat that black belt, you know, and I beat him several times. Um, uh, and, and I mean, when I say I beat him, I mean, I beat him, beat him positionally. Like I was able to sweep him. He wasn't able to pass my guard. And that's how you want to beat someone. Like yeah. And, yeah. It was, and, and uh, um, when I didn't get my brown belt, I was, you know, confused. I wasn't angry. I was confused. You know, I didn't yeah. think, oh, you know, fuck, fuck those guys or anything like that. I was just like, Jesus, what's going on here? And then when I got it to net, I just went back to training, went back the next year or the year after and, and yeah. met it. So, you know, that's, uh, I wouldn't get angry over it. And I don't think you should get angry over it. Now, having said that, I remember um, a story of Henzo had a, a guy at his club, um, Zed. And yeah. uh, Zed's a super nice guy, and Zed was training at Henzo's club forever. And uh, I remember we were down there one time, and Zed had been there forever, and he has, he's got a belt on that's kind of, looks like a white belt. But it was actually a blue belt that was so old that it was gone white. Oh, you wash it. It's like yeah. baby blue. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, someone said, uh, Henzo, when are you going to give Z this purple belt? Henzo looks at me and goes, you know that purple belt? <laughs> well, you know, say something. He goes, how long have you been a blue belt? He goes, I don't know, five or six years. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, you know, that, and he never ever uttered a complaint or, you know, a word. He's still training. You know, the, the belt. It's the love of the sport. At the end of the day. Yeah. I'd rather be a, you know, there's a saying, I'd rather be a blue belt beating a purple belt than a blue belt tapping to a white belt. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. Am I technically a white belt right now? Yeah, no, not until you train. Okay. Yeah. So if I get in there, I'm a white belt. You're, yeah, you're a white belt. That's pretty good. Yeah. And That's you'll be a white bad. belt for two or three years. <laughs> I don't know if I got the patience. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? I might pick it uh, up. I, it's incredibly I, addictive. I, that's what I've heard. Like, Do you like chess? I do like chess. Well, this is I physical, love playing it. Physical chess. So all this is is. See, I don't you, think of it like you that. You do though. this, and he's going to do that, and I'm going to plan for this, and he's probably going to do this or this or this, and then I need to do this or this or this, and so the 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 uh, that that's all it is. The chess game, you're having the best answers available to the most probable responses you're going to get from your application of force. All right. Yeah. There is a part of me that I know when I walk into your studio for the first time, I'm going to be sweating. I'm going to be like, holy shit, here we go. Relax. Yeah, it's so funny because I have, a, I have a, a good friend that trains there, uh, Tim, and he said that, I don't want to get this wrong, but he said that he thought about going there for several years before he actually showed up. And he said he was just you know, kind of intimidated. Or he yeah, said, I was it's intimidating. Go. And then he said, he's like, man, it's like family. Everybody's, it's so nice. Everybody's friendly. And, and he says, you know, best decision, you know, he's made in a long time. All right. So, uh, and, you know, he's a fantastic asset because his wife trains there, his kids train there. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're they're fantastic people, and we're you know we're really happy to have them. Yeah, uh, that's what we look at is like a, a big family. You know, everybody tries to help everybody, and you know when you first come, you're not well known in the family, but after you're there for a while, you you become you know. Uh, All right, that's what we that's what we hope for anyway. I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan's podcast, and he's a big 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 fan of it. He does it every day, not every day, but he's in there in the studio, and he said it really helped him with. Uh, surpassing problems in his everyday life so if he was in a, a role with someone and he failed but he knew what he had to do to beat that person the next time it almost helped him in his everyday life uh, you know business scenarios of trying to uh, to surpass uh, you know in this life there's there's certain steps to this life to get to the next step to where you want to go and he said jiu-jitsu helped him in, in, in such a large sense because there's no hiding, is what he said. I'm pretty sure there's no hiding. If, if you can't pretend in the sport, yeah, you're you're you can't go in and and you're gonna go in and you're gonna win or you're gonna lose. It's just yeah. the way it is. It's not like you can. Uh, it it it's if you have weakness in your technique, it'll be exposed. Someone will expose it, uh, and and that's the best thing. So you know you want to roll to see where you're going uh, wrong, and you want to roll to see what you're doing right. And then you want to teach the people that you beat the things that you beat them with so they can counter it so that you need to come up with new things. Uh, so, so is the sport still being innovative? Is the sport oh, still, people are still figuring out new moves? Oh, figuring endlessly, out. endlessly. You, 
I learn new things every day. Sometimes, really? Sometimes you learn things. From, I've been a black belt for 13 years now. I still learn things from white belt sometimes. Um, it's endless. Uh, you never stop learning. Uh, sometimes you learn something and it's applicable and then something counters it and, you know, we can't use that anymore because people may know this, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a huge strategic, it's physical physical strategy at, you know, at the ultimate level. Like you, right. you, you either win or, you'd, you know, potentially if you were fighting for your life, you could die. You know, that's, yeah. uh, that's the thing. I never thought of it from that, from that sense. How often do you stretch? Not enough. I, I've got a couple of clients I teach, um, I, I train, and they like to stretch at the end of the routine, so I'll stretch at them. And, but How that, long? That's it. Like an hour? Uh, no, stretching? Yeah. 15 minutes. 15 minutes? Yeah, do a whole body stretch in about 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, should stretch more. It'd be good if you could stretch every day. It's really relaxing. I always feel so much better after I stretch. Oh, so much better. It's one of those things you make compromises on in your life. How much time do you have to do the things that you need to get done and things yeah. that you want to do? And Unfortunately, stretching has fallen off on that uh, you know, and as I get older, probably shouldn't, but yeah, it is, unfortunately. But, yeah, I, I recommend you stretch if you can. It helps in everything, not even jiu-jitsu, just everyday life stretching. Absolutely, yeah. What's one thing that one person can do uh, to better themselves be- to becoming a jiu-jitsu, a jiu-jitsu athlete just at home before they walk into your studio? Is there anything that they can do? Sorry, do you have time? We're coming up on an hour here. Yeah, you got, like, yeah. another 10 minutes? You're sure, good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say... Um, the biggest thing you should do is, is you know, watch watch matches. Like, I watch matches all the time, and I learn things. That uh, you may have a world champion who puts out a series of instructional things, and that thing that he's done to win the world championship may not be on his instructional thing. He does it, and I don't know whether he's not teaching on purpose or he's not thinking to teach it. But if you watch the fights, you slow it down, you back it up, you know, and study it. You can learn gems, okay. little things like that the best guys in the world are using mm. that can make you good, and you know. You may not be ready for it. Some of the things may be above what your conceptual, um, I guess, uh, understanding of the sport is. So sometimes you'll see things and it doesn't make any sense to you. you just, and sometimes I show people things and, and they just, it's just it's like trying to teach them Greek. <laughs> but you have to show it to them because if you don't, if you show it to them a year from now, it's still going to be, it may still be, you know, trying to teach them Latin or Greek or something like that. But <laughs> if they see it and they see it again, the understanding will be a little bit higher and they see it again and eventually they'll get it. Um, so the, the, the sooner you show it to them, the sooner we'll get it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, so yeah, study at home, watch fights. Okay. Yeah, and, Have you ever been to a UFC event? Oh, multiple ones. What yeah, are they? So. What are they, I just hear incredible things. What are they like? And where do you like to sit is my other question. I've only ever been to one as a spectator, um, and I sat so far back. The very first one I went to, I didn't know it was a toss-up whether to watch the screen, the big screen, or watch the cage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Matt Sarah was fighting on that, yeah. on that one. And uh, uh, it was... Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it was. In, I think it was in New Jersey. There were more fights in the audience than there were in the, yeah. in, the in the cage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's that, what I mean by Montreal when everyone's out there fighting yeah, after. I, I think that's kind of gone by the wayside. That was the early days of the sport. I yeah. think that you know, like when I put on fights here. Um, the, the crowd's almost like a corporate crowd. It's the athletes and corporate, so there's, okay. there's not really you don't get fights in the stands. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. pretty good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, most uh, I've I've all, all, every fight I've seen beside that one just about I've been cage side for. So wow, uh, are you in Gavin's corner? Are you? Yeah, often. Yeah, I'm, are you? Yeah, I've been in Gavin's corner for all his fights. Oh, sorry, I didn't. Yeah. I should have known that. My yeah. I apologize. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Oh, no worries. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, even uh, all the ECC fights I've put on, uh, fights I've traveled to with other fighters to. You know, the, the U.S. or uh, other parts of Canada, I'm always cage side to watch them. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it, I've been spoiled. I've been able to watch the fights close up. Wow. <laughs> part, yeah. Some of the things you must be able to see from being close up right there on the cage. Incredible. Um, like, oh. Well, yeah, it's certainly, uh, it, it's a great, I mean, I've been to a couple of UFCs. It was UFC 200 and 202 as a guest of a, um, of a friend, Matt, and uh, we were cage side, like right against the, Cage to, to, to for Conor McGregor's fight against Diaz and some great no. fights. Yeah, and, and uh, one or Brock two Lesnar. with McDavid or not uh, McDavid. It was uh, two o two, I believe two hundred two o two. I think which one it was. But like their first fight or second fight. Second fight. Second fight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow. And, and uh, wow, that's wow. Conor uh, Conor uh, won. Um, but I mean, I mean, we look back behind us, and there's NFL players, there's NBA players, you know, movie stars sitting behind us. <laughs> We're like, wow, <laughs> this is great. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, 
yeah um those are those are great fights and that was those were both in las vegas when you see guys like conor mcgregor and diaz and the you know they're so far ahead in the game they're they're great athletes and they're good at what they do what do you see the separation from them to a guy that's trying to get to the position they're at what's the difference uh well i know there's, it's a there's tough several question. like i'm going to use gavin as an example okay gavin tucker would be a prime example of um the 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 combination of things you need to go far in the sport. Um, so first of all, he's 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 physical. He's got the physicality that needs to be gifted athletically. Yeah. So you get a lot of people like that, but then you have people who have drive to train, and you need so you need that drive to, to get in there and and train and and push yourself, put yourself through hell, like you know every day, sometimes twice a day, sometimes three times a day, you know. Gavin's biggest uh, thing is he, he trained too much. I think now he's finally got a handle on that. But, he, he, you know, a lot of people are, you know, don't want to train that hard that much. And so the physicality, the drive to use that to train, and the intelligence. Because you certainly you can be a physical specimen and know a certain few things and go far in the sport. Uh, and you, you see that in UFC. You see guys who are fighters that can just, you know, they can get things done because of their, their athletic ability. But when you can combine that athletic ability, uh, it's almost like a—I uh, guess it would be like a, a character in a, in a video game. You know, you look at the different qualities yeah, you have. So, yeah. if you have the intelligence to learn and to apply the techniques that are appropriate, that are current, and that work, uh, and you apply that with your your physicality and your and your training drive to make them, you know, so that you can get to a position where you're trained enough that they actually work. Yeah. Then you you can go and fight at the highest levels, and you know that's kind of what uh, Gavin has. He's one of the few people I've ever met, and I've trained a lot of people who has that combination. Um, and everybody has it to a certain extent. Some people have the drive; they'll train, but they don't have the intelligence or the I don't know the compulsive, uh, almost a compulsive disorder to study and train and learn. Yeah. Uh, to never you know like you know the grass grow under their feet. Yeah. Uh, so you get people who maybe can do that, but they don't have the physicality. They they can be very very smart in it, but don't have uh, yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, that to to go to that level, you need you need that that special combination, that mix. Wow. Yeah, uh, and you know it's just like trying to get in the NHL. Like you can be a great athlete, but if you don't have if you can't go to these like now, you probably have to go to a hockey camp or a hockey school. You know, to yeah. learn the skills to, to, to go with your athleticism to be a hockey player. Um, and, you know, even then, you may not make it. You get things lurking around oh. the corner like injuries and, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. You need a job. You can't pay your rent. I know lots of, uh, heard lots of stories of UFC athletes training their ass off, fighting at the top of the sport and fucking broke. Yeah. Because they don't get paid enough. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's the, the greatest crime in that sport is for what they do, for how good they are, for the dedication. For, oh, man, he made $50,000 for 15 minutes. No, he made $50,000 for training for a whole year. You know, yeah. for <laughs> putting his, he's putting his health on the line. Yeah. He's not just fighting. He's putting yeah. his health on the line. You know? So many things have to come together in yeah. order for it to make sense. Absolutely. For, for it to happen. That's crazy. Yeah. I loved having you here. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Peter. What are you doing the rest of the day? Uh, I have uh, nothing until 4 o'clock. When I say nothing, I mean I've got paperwork and things like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but nothing at the gym until 4 o'clock. All right, good stuff. Yeah, all right. I'm dead serious, though, about coming over to the studio. If you're ha if you're, if yeah, you're going to give me some open yeah. arms, I'll come and yeah, I'll uh, come. I'm, I'm there every day, so seven days a week. All right. Um, give me a call. We'll set some time. All right. All right. Peter, once much. again, thank you very much for coming. Appreciate that. Everyone uh, listening, thank you very much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Have the, what's today? Wednesday, hump day, halfway through the week. Weekend's almost there. Have fun, enjoy, stay safe. We are out. And team come down, turn your back. Become me sweeter than the water with a coconut. Me nicer than the lollipop. But watch your man. The iron, the mountain, and the cooler, the breeze. If it ain't a party, then it's gonna be Never had a problem that I couldn't solve It must be official if I get involved Quarter pound of fire burning daily Harder to remember, getting harder to remember 
Cause I have 